So if you got your Bibles, let's jump into the word this morning. Can anybody guess where I'm going? Perfect. Go to Luke 15. <laughs> We've only been doing it for the past nine weeks, y'all. <laughs> and you kind of go, well, man, again? Listen, you have not pulled out of Luke 15 everything that there is to know. So if you're like, oh, you notice what I notice with the Lord. Anytime that I'm about to hear a message or I go and I'm, I'm really listening into something and I find out, hey, go to this verse and it's one that I, you know, I may have heard before a few times and I get kind of annoyed by that. That just shows how ignorant I am of that verse. Mm-hmm. Well, so, good morning, y'all. Luke 15. Uh, is that okay, Jesus? Was that, were you pleased with that? All right, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for your written word that was given to us. So, Father, we ask you so on the inside that you continue to reveal Jesus to us in a greater way. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge you in this room. You are so welcome to demonstrate manifest, do what you need to do to accomplish the purpose for this time together. We give you the space, we give you the room, and Lord, we ask you that it's not just words coming out of my mouth, but it comes directly from you. So Holy Spirit, here I am, use me in a way that you need to. Father, we thank you that you are here to bring the word in such a way that we can get it, grasp it, and not just be hearers of it, but by doers of what your word says to do. So, Father, we thank you. We are doers of your word. We love you, sir, in Jesus' name. Now, in Luke 15, uh, again, just kind of picking up where the son had left the father. He said, I want my inheritance, and I'm out of here. And he spent it all, as we know, on wild living. And he's feeding the pigs, and he comes to himself. And again, I, I just, many of you, you love this, and I don't want to take away from that how beautiful this is, because I never want to forget where I came from, or what I deserve. I, feeding the pigs is, that's, that's, we say low in this natural realm. I and you, we deserve hell. We deserve the lake of fire. But God is so gracious and kind that he sent his son, Agape, to come now and die the penalty that you and I should have had so that by accepting him, we're forever with him and he's forever with us. It's beautiful. And what you see here is an amazing example of what Jesus gave this strong you know, uh, testimony or story that the Jews were very familiar in that time. And so this young son finally came to his senses and said, I'm living at the lowest of the low. I spent my father's, the inheritance that was given to me, I wrecked my life, but maybe my dad would take me back if I just said, hey, make me an employee and no longer a son. So he's going to go back home, and this is what I'm going to say. This is his I'm sorry speech. Father, I was wrong, and I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Just please treat me like one of your employees. So the son set off for home, and from a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him, and swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over and over and over and over with tender love. The son probably was, wow. Could you imagine that just erased all kinds of walls that were built up? It probably erased a whole lot of insecurities and things that go on. Man, I, don't, I, like, I, I literally spent all of the inheritance. I took my dad's money and wait. 
Whew. I remember telling my dad, like, hey, I, I scratched your car. He did more than scratch a car, man. He's like, he's wrecking stuff. He's wasted it all the money and living as he ought not. And so he's coming back and it's like, ooh, come around the corner. Could you imagine? I think he's standing around the corner. Okay, just getting the sweat off, getting the sweat off. Try to like, there's no Axe body spray at that time. So he's probably just fresh air in it, trying to get the clean off him. Just got to get this pig off me a little bit. Comes around the corner. And his father sees him from a long way, and now he's running towards him. The, fa- the son could have gone, and just take off. You have no idea what's going to take place. Naturally speaking, you probably want to beat the snot out of that kid. But what we just saw is the father picked him up, and now, as we see here, kissed him over and over and over and over again. So the, fa- the son said to the father, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupts what you're going to say. And he says, son, you're home now. But can I finish my speech? No, 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 no. What matters is your home now. What does he go on to say? Turning to the servants or his employees. The father says, quick, bring me the best robe my very own robe of righteousness, and I'm gonna put it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'm gonna put it on his finger, and bring me out the best shoes that you can find for my son, because sons wear shoes. Then he said, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate, because this beloved son of mine was once dead, and now he's found. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Can you say it with me? Everyone. Everyone. Everyone except religious people. Because religion can't grasp this. Because religion is stuck on the rules. The religion is stuck on how bad you suck and what you need to do better. Religion doesn't understand the heartbeat of a father. And the heartbeat of the father, I remember I was praying one time and I said, Lord, I, you know, we always, we kind of say that to sound real Christian. Lord, give me your heart. Give me your heart. And I remember I kind of doing that same thing. I'm like, Lord, sh- can you show me what your heart is? I really want to see this. And the Lord on the inside of me, I remember just hearing, because I had my hand on my heart like this. I was praying in this room and I just got this sense, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2. So I went to 1 Timothy 2 and I read it and you can see how the father, his so his strong desire is that all men would become saved and come to the knowledge of the truth of who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done. So that's the heartbeat of the father is 1 Timothy 2 and that will never change. So much so that now Ephesians 2.19 says, now you are not just foreigners and guests. You and I, we've heard this, you're home now. So that means you stop being a foreigner, stop acting like a guest, thinking like a guest, praying like a guest, wishing heaven would be open. Stop it. You're home now. So he says that rather you are now children of the city of the holy ones with all the rights and privileges of God's household. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 actually just even goes alongside all of this that you and I now stand in this place of undeserved favor. That's where you stand. Stop trying to get something that the Father is trying to give to you. That's our stance. Now, as we said a few times before, son, you're home now. 
And now what is the focus? We have to grasp this, church. It's bigger than you and I just playing church and doing churchy things. What is the focus of hearing this phrase, you're home now? Anybody heard that phrase before, you're home now? So can I encourage you? It's not just doing churchy things or being, I, gotta, I do church stuff. It's bigger than that. Your home now means God wants to use you and I in such a beautiful way through this relationship with him to now be bold expressions of his kingdom in the area that he's called us to live in. That is my highest call. Let me read this. My highest call is through my relationship with Jesus as I allow him to affect me. I get to be a kingdom expression wherever I go. That's not just for church. That includes driving on gates. It includes Canadian Tire, Walmart, aisle seven, in the diaper section, when someone's freaking out at you. It all begins there that I am an expression of the kingdom of God. I'm an expression of the home that I'm from. Okay, Romans 8, 29 and 30, again for us to see. He says, for God, he knew us all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. What is the call? To share in what? In the likeness of his son. This means that the son, Jesus, is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Jesus is your and my older brother. You find that in Hebrews too, that he's not ashamed to call us brethren. That's who he is to you and I. And what do older brothers do? Supposed to do. <laughs> any older brothers in the room? Is there any, any, of, any people that have been affected by an older brother in a horrible way? We're going to have prayer for you right after the service. <laughs> Put your hand down. That's my, yeah. <laughs> Elder brother, encouraging him what to do and what not to do. You keep your hand down. You're fine. But the older brother, I love you, bro. What do we do? What does the older brother do? He sets the example for what it looks like to be a son. That's why Jesus came was to reveal not only who the father is, but to reveal what the father's plan all along for you was. So when you see Jesus, you get a glimpse of who you are and what God created you to be. Silencing storms. Oh, that's just for Messiahs. No, that's for children of the almighty God. Your expressions of light on this earth. Cool. Thank you for your excitement on that. Verse 30. He goes on to say, having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred now his perfect righteousness to everyone that he called. So you right now are 100% righteous before God. Therefore, you are 100% righteous as you live on this earth. There's no degrees of righteousness with God. You either are or you are not. You're either 100% right or you are not. So which one are you? This is why the Bible, even Paul in his letters, you see that constantly. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. So what's that? He doesn't say stop sinning so that you can become aware of right standing. No, he says become who you are, aware of who you are first so that you can stop 
acting this way because righteous royalty, that's not how they act. Oh, it's not like I have to stop doing this. I have to stop doing this. I have to stop doing this. No, it's I no longer want to because I'm royalty. That's who we are. And that's what the whole New Testament is all about is coming to realization of who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, and those who possess his perfect righteousness, he also says he co-glorified with his son, meaning now you can see him. You are qualified to see the plan and the mystery of God that the Old Testament had no idea about. You're qualified to see it. So church, don't just kind of go, oh, well, whatever. I'll, I'll understand when I get to heaven. Why are you waiting? Why, you have the very one inside of you the greater one lives inside of you and he's here to reveal Jesus for you and I. Why would I kind of go, nah, I'm good. I'd rather, you know, I got some good Netflix shows that I'd like to check out. Nothing wrong with Netflix, but it's honestly, we kind of live in such a very low level of Christianity when you and I just kind of go, church is, I just do church once in a while. You can't separate this life. It's all together. Okay, glad we're all good. Now, so again, how do I grow in being a kingdom expression on this earth, it's by allowing my mind to line up with home. Son, you're home now. Not only is there great blessing attached to it, but also with it comes a responsibility. I better learn how this home operates. I better learn how this home talks. I better learn how this home thinks because if I'm coming from this home, my opinions do not matter. What I want or what I think does not matter unless it's going to line up with what the home thinks. This is home. Home. So we have to constantly revert back to just going, what does the home say? And another way you could say it is, what does the word say? Because the home and the word line up perfectly. <laughs> okay. We're still okay? Okay, so how do I do this? Is I got to align my thinking and I have to allow my attitudes, my behaviors to line up with home. Same way that you do it with your kids. You want your kids to be expressions of your home. <laughs> and when they don't, what happens? I can give great testimony as to what happens when it doesn't line up with home. There's a lot of grace being extended, but hey, this is the way it's going to be. I don't care if you're hungover, you live in my house, you get to the church. What? Why? Get in the car. I remember every time as a kids and before, like we would be in, uh, we'd be getting ready or something, and my dad, remember, would walk into the room, boys, talking to Javen and I and whoever else wanted to hear. Church, what does it look like? What do we do? Uh, we bring our Bible. Yeah. What else do we do? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Generally, I don't know. We clap our hands. Okay. We raise our hands. We celebrate what Jesus has done. Okay. And then when we weren't, not only my father, but I also had a grandfather. A lot of time we wouldn't sit with my parents for sake of them seeing us. So we'd sit with my grandparents. But every once in a while, my, my opa would... You get happy, you celebrate. I kind of look, I kind of, in that time, I'm like, why? But now I go, thank you. Thank you. 
All right. And I miss them. Acts 4.13. Let me see, show you this. Now, when the men of the Sanhedrin of the Jewish high court saw the confidence in the boldness of Peter and John, and they grasped the fact that they were uneducated and untrained, ordinary men, they were astounded. Like, what, what caught the attention of these high-class religious folk? They saw the boldness and the confidence of the men, and so they had began to recognize that these guys, they'd been with Jesus. Another translation says it like this. They began to understand the effect that Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. What's the result of hanging out in the home, spending time at home? Confidence and boldness is just a guarantee. So you don't have to muster up this confidence and this boldness. I think we talked about that last week when you're trying to psych yourself up to go witness to somebody. I gotta talk to them about Jesus. And you walk into that room again, you're sweating like crazy and you're walking into that room and go, no, I just can't do it. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. They're gonna think I'm nuts. But when you spend time in the home, it just comes all over you. You, I don't know how else to say it then. It becomes part of your DNA because God never created a shy person. There's no such thing as, well, the righteous, you know, I'm righteous, but I'm really shy. There's no such thing. Because it says in my Bible that the righteous, they are as bold as a lion. Doesn't say, you know, arrogant. It says boldness. There's this genuine love and there's this excitement about Jesus that you can't just try to, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, and just try to hype this thing up so I can go talk to people. It's actually just genuinely seen on those who spend time with him. So simply what are we saying is, Christians, we have to spend time with him. I think one of the greatest sins that the church can commit is that we try to be like God apart from God. We're trying to do Christian things without him. It doesn't work. I know that in my own life, and the Lord has convicted me on that a few times, where I'm just trying to do something or act a certain way, we have perfected phoniness in a really good way. We know how to talk. We know what to say. We know how to glory to God in all the right phrases. But when it comes down to it, there's no results. Why? Because we haven't spent time with him. And so if we just go back to the very raw and the foundation of what Christianity is all about, it's him. It's his word. It's fellowship with the spirit of God to hear what he would want us to do at this exact moment, what he would want us to say at this time. It simply goes back to, I spend time with Jesus. (laughs) 2,000 years later of this, I'm not just a religion, but this amazing organism that Jesus started called the Ecclesia, where he said, you are now my called ones and I'm sending you out into this world. How are we supposed to survive this dark world? Well, spend time with me. I'll show you. And I want you to see, we're gonna go into this this morning, but how did Jesus, how does Jesus have this effect on me so that wherever I go, I am a living expression of the kingdom of God? I don't know about you, church, but that becomes now something on the inside of me that I so... I so desperately, in, in another word, I, wanna, I, I so badly want to this church to demonstrate his goodness to a community, first of all, that thinks God hates them, that God wants nothing to do with them, and where a lot of you know, 
Christians of the day are God is judging Canada or North America or America. No, he is not. He is not. Do you know why? For him to do that now would to be able to have to slap Jesus in the face and say, your sacrifice isn't enough quite yet. There's a few things that I got to take down, take care of down here. So I'm going to do some flooding. I'm going to do some fires. I'm going to take care of some of these things to bring judgment to this earth. That is not happening yet. The time will come when we out of here. Woo. Thank God we're not here. Where it actually says that the people will cry out for the rocks to fall on them. They want to die. Listen, we're not there yet. We are coming to the close of all this because Jesus talked about at the end days, he said it's going to happen more frequently and these random things happening more frequently. It's happening repetitive over and over. He compared it to a woman having or giving in labor, giving child, giving birth. And what happens when to the, to the what's the squeezing of the contractions? That's the right word. It's the squeezing of the uterus. I'm, I, uh, what happens is they happen more frequently and more intense before something is going to happen. Well, y'all, something is about to happen. We're seeing more of these contractions, so to speak, spiritually taking place. And we go, wonder what's going on there. We know what's going on. It's the end of an age. That's not my message, but continuing on. John 15. So I have to learn how to abide This isn't just something I do on Sundays or I have a five-minute devotional once in a while in my mornings before I go to work. I'm talking about a lifestyle of abiding. Can you say that with me? Lifestyle of abiding. So it's not just, okay, I put my 30 minutes in for the day. I'm good. No, this is how I live my life. Again, another way of saying it is, what does the word say? Home, what are you saying about this situation right now? Okay, I see all this going on. Uh, Hey, heaven, home. This is where I'm from, dialing it in. What's going on? What do I need to be aware of? If there's anything that I need to see from your word, I'm constantly dialed in to what heaven's doing. This isn't for the super spiritual. This is for the children of God. Because God's not just going to work from the platform to do what he wants to do in this earth. If we're waiting for a platform, we got a big problem. What is he doing? He's working throughout his body to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, John 15, again, Jesus' words before going to the cross, he says, I am the true vine. If he's the true, everything else is false. My father is the vine dresser of this true vine. So my access point to the father is through the vine, which is Jesus. The only way the father can get a hold of me is through the vine. (laughs) I can't bypass Jesus and go directly to the father. Okay, verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And now again, you have to read this through the gospel of grace lens. This doesn't mean he cuts you off and you're useless to him. Actually, if you look at the Greek word, it means he bears you up and ties you to the sun so you start producing fruit. It's not, you're done, ax it off, you are useless to me. That's not how our father is. He's not gonna divorce you. Our culture is all, yeah, you're useless while you're done with me. That's not how our father is. He's in covenant with you. He put the robe on you. So if you're having struggles, what is he going to do? He's going to lift you up and he's going to attach you to the son, Jesus. And of course, how he does that is connects you to a body, connects you to people. 
And some, what happened, we, we quoted so many times, iron sharpens iron. Well, when iron sharpens other iron, sometimes it hurts a little bit. So if somebody says something to you that you don't really like, get over it. Because what's happening is you're getting sharpened. For the purpose of what? So that you actually start bearing fruit. Because the whole Christian life is about you and I producing fruit or, again, expressing the kingdom of God wherever we go. Are we okay still? We're still? Okay. And every branch, now if you are a branch that is continuing to bear fruit, he repeatedly, repeatedly prunes. So why it will bear even more richer and finer fruit. (laughs) Verse three, you are already clean because of the word which I have given you and the teachings that I have discussed with you. Now, I just want to interject a thought here is that most of the time, what the Lord talks to me about, I already know and understand. That doesn't mean that there's no more. It means now he wants to bring me into greater revelation, greater understanding, and what needs to happen is I may have to have a different attitude about hearing. I don't know about you, but a lot of times we just want to hear what we want to hear. But when it comes to pruning, a lot of the times it's hearing something that you may not want to hear. And part of this relationship with the Lord, same way with part of the relationship with my spouse, with your spouse, it's not just we say all these things that we want to hear. Jamie, tell me how good I am. Just come on, girl. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You've been lacking a little bit these last couple of days. I need you to tell me. Write it out in a paper. Do something. Tell me how amazing I am. And there's times that we have that. There's that encouragement. But then there's times because guess what? I guess I have blind spots. I said, what? I don't know. My mama never said I had blind spots. So I'm like, hey, Jamie, I don't know where you're getting that from. But anyways, it's true. I got some blind spots. And so what she's able to do, because she's able to see a full rounded picture of where I'm at, where I'm going, she can go, hey, you know what? Have you thought about this or saw this? I go, ooh, not liking that. You're on the couch tonight, girlfriend. That's what I'll tell you right now. I'm just kidding. But I have to come to this place where I go, I receive that so I can be conscious of it. And what is that? That's part of the whole pruning process. Okay, Lord, thank you for helping me see some of those things. And it's the same way with the Lord. A lot of times our relationship with him is so shallow because all we want to hear from him is what we want to hear from him. But the conversation is way more deep than just, we bring a sacrifice of praise, and then I just stay here all day. He wants to mature you and I, and part of the maturing process is, I'm going to have to hear some things that I don't necessarily want to hear. And that's why it's crucial that you and I, I remember the Lord saying this to me, that we don't get offended. I will not get offended because I love your word. But I never want to be offended with who? Number one, God. Because listen, God can't offend. No, he can't. Yeah, and it's not that it's purposeful. Not at all. That's not who our God is. He's not looking on purpose to hurt somebody's feelings. But truth will always rub somebody the wrong way. Period. Anybody been rubbed by truth? And you go, oh, that hurts so good. 
And the purpose of that is not to bring you down or say how stupid and ignorant you are. It's to say, hey, I'm calling you up. And a great example of this is the Pharaoh Phoenician woman. Remember that? She was a Gentile. She had a daughter that was tormented by an evil spirit. And she went and she pleaded with Jesus, Jesus, please, my daughter has an unclean spirit. It's torturing her. It's tormenting her. Can you do something about it? Jesus turned around. And I remember hearing this from my dad. Pastor John would say this regularly. God is always working with people. So you see now Jesus is working with to pull out of them what he needs to get access. He turned and he said to the woman, am I going to take what belongs to the children of Israel and give it to dogs? Oh, what's wrong with you? How could you say something like that? Jesus wasn't trying to offend. That's truth. This isn't for you. The bread, I'm not called to the Gentiles at this season. That's not my call. My call is to the Jewish people and to bring them. Salvation's supposed to come through them. So I'm bringing this bread. She could have got offended, walked away, and just said, I'm, I'm done. Everything you heard about this Jesus guy is false. Instead, she positioned her heart in such a way where she said, you know what? Right, Lord, you're, there's truth to that. But even the little puppies eat the crumbs off the, off the, off the dinner table. Jesus turned and said, "Woo, that's what I'm talking about. Be it unto you according to your faith. So for you and I, I just, can I encourage you, refuse to get offended. It is not worth it. Now, verse four, I gotta get going here. Verse four. So now again, pruning comes, how? From word discussion. If I'm not in the word, pruning can't happen. So I have to spend time with Jesus in order to get pruned. Is this just common sense? Is this just very simple? Okay. Remain in me, so he goes on to say, because that's true, remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as no branch can bear fruit without remaining in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, producing evidence of your faith, unless you remain in me. That word remain again, remember, it's a verb, and it means to stay. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branch. Can you say that? Jesus is the vine. I am a branch. We have to get those clear. I am not a self-fulfilling machine where I can just keep going, 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 going. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm not a vine. The life-giving source, I am not the source for life flowing through me. Remember, grace teaches us to depend on the vine. It de to depend on the God, on God. So my place in this relationship is I'm simply an outsource, a vessel, a branch of what the true vine is already doing. The one who remains or stays in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, you can do no thing. It's right there. Verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch, withers and dies. And these are gathered for the fire to be burned, verse seven. But if you remain, if you stay in me and my words stay in you, that is if they are vitally united, Verse seven, y'all downstairs. 
you vitally united and my message lives in your heart or it takes hold of you, you ask for whatever you will and it shall be done. So notice my prayers being answered, is it on God or is it on me? The Father's promises are yes. Come on, y'all, and amen. We already got got God's yes. He's already shouted to you, yes. So what's required of me is I have to remain. I got to stay in the word, allow the word to actually take hold in me so that whatever I ask, it's done. So he's left the responsibility. He's left this part of the relationship up to you. If you want me, you can have me. If you want the word, you can have it. Verse eight, Jesus goes on this and he said, this now is what glorifies and honors the father that you bear much fruit. So what gives God glory? Oh, I'm gonna just stay faithful even when I'm, you know, I lost my leg. Stop that religious junk. It's garbage. What gives God glory? Answered prayers when his children receive what they ask for. I, I love it when my kids ask for something and they get it. Guess what? They're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is amazing. My dad got me this. And they'll tell the rest of the family, whosoever, my dad bought this for me. He got it for me. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, right? That gives, that gives me natural glory. Going, I love showing that for my kids. Now, go with me to John chapter 11 for a moment. I want you and I, first of all, to see result of life that is abiding is you're producing fruit. I get to know Jesus, not just know about him, I actually get to know and have working intimate knowledge of him. But abiding again is not some kind of, you turn into some weird monk and you don't come down from, to civilization to talk with you know, the average regular people. That's not abiding, that's weird. Okay? People say, I just, I've been on the mountain for 40 days. Well, you should come back because you stink for one. And you also better just touch base about what's going on around you. So it's not about being weird. It's now just a position. Home, what are you saying about this? Home, what are you doing about this? Home, what do you think about this? Word, what do you say? What do you say? What do you want to do? How do you see this? That's abiding. Now, an example of abiding in the power in the life of Jesus But in order to accomplish the purpose and the plan of God, Jesus had to live a life of abiding. If you think about it, the resurrection of Jesus was the greatest demonstration of the power of God that mankind has ever seen. Not only was he raised up spirit, soul, and body, but he also raised up all of humanity, spirit, soul, and one day your body will be promised to get one just like him. What a God. It's the greatest power ever seen. And all anyone has to do is call out on Jesus, believe that resurrection, believe what he did and the grace that's been extended towards him. And that same power now resides on the inside of him. It's amazing. But now this level of power was released by God. There had to be equal level of faith from a man to do this. And that man was Jesus. Now remember, Jesus came as the Son of God, but he did not operate on this earth as God. He laid his deity down, Philippians 2 tells us, and he took upon himself flesh. So he operated in this earth as a man, correct? Okay, now, how could he release faith 
for this resurrection, for his personal resurrection. Now you see, uh, there's been testimonies in time that where he had examples and he saw his faith was built up when he saw um, J. Iris' daughter raised from the dead. Also that widow's son, when Jesus stopped the funeral procession, he laid hand on the casket and that boy was raised up from the dead. So Jesus had glimpses of this, but nothing came more powerful than when he actually came to Lazarus's tomb. And then Jesus boldly declared, he said to everyone around, he said, I am the resurrection. How do you get to that place? How are you able to say those types of words? And what can we see from his life that we can apply to ours? So in John chapter 11, I want you to turn there real quickly with me. Verses uh, one through six, it says, now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and his sister Martha lived. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, he, our brother and your friend, whom you love is sick. Now I want you to notice Jesus' words. Jesus, when he spoke, probably gave some headline nudes for the devil. What did he say? This sickness will not end in death. Hell probably went, what? Jesus altered. He totally changed by the words of his mouth, reversed everything that was going to take place in Lazarus's experience. Okay? On the contrary, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Period. So for you now, we always have to see is we got to get God's plan on something and speak the end result. That's another service, but that's just for fun right now. Verse five. Now Jesus, now notice this. This is the whole foundation why Jesus did anything. He loved and was concerned about the family. Jesus loves you. That's his motive. That's the father's motive behind everything he does. Not only do you see phileo in verse four talks about, or verse three talks about phileo love, that there's just this genuine affection and this like, this likeness towards somebody. But then this word here, Jesus loved is the word agape. That's what caused God to move on planet earth when he could have just said, well, I guess y'all going to hell. I'm going to start somewhere else. He could have done that, but because agape is so committed to you that he said, I'm for you. I'm going to fight for you back. That's how agape is. Jesus loved and was concerned about Martha and and her sister and Lazarus and considered them dear friends. Verse six. So even when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed, say with me, he stayed, come on one more time, he stayed in the same place two more days. Now the King James Bible says is that he abode there. And again, that word abide or abode, it means this is to remain in a given place, in a state, to stay, and it also means to have a relation or an expectancy about it. Now, why did Jesus intentionally stay where he was? What was he doing? Verse six, again, what we just see, has perplexed many generations. And their answers, even the people at Bethany, when Jesus went to Lazarus, they were confused about what he was doing. They didn't understand it all. 
So for you and I to get clarity as to why Jesus stayed, we have to go back to chapter 10. And I want to read a couple verses to you to actually get the full picture as to why Jesus stayed. Okay, so John chapter 10, turn a page over. And it says this in verse 24. Before I read it, you might as well know that this has been the most heated discussion that you see between Jesus and the religious leaders. Okay? It says the Jews surrounded him and began saying to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you really are the Christ, tell us so by plainly and openly revealing. Jesus answered them, I have told you so, yet you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify concerning me. They are my credentials. Verse 26. But you do not believe me, so you do not trust and follow me because you are not my sheep. The sheep that are my own, hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never ever by any means perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Booyah. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater and mightier than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You're in good hands this morning. Verse 30, I and the Father are one in essence and nature. Again, notice that word again. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you my many good works and many acts of mercy from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, we are not going to stone you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man. That that answers Isaiah's question, that there wasn't lovely or something amazing about him that just made Jesus cool. But you're blasphemy. You make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, it is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? Human judges representing God, not divine beings? If he called them gods, men to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be undone or annulled or broken. If this is true, then do you say of him whom the father sanctified and set apart for himself and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am a son of God. Verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, that is the miracles that only God could perform, then don't believe me. But... If I am doing them, even you, or even if you do not believe me or have faith in me, at least, you see Jesus just pleading with them, at least believe the works that I do. Admit that they're the works of God so that you may know and keep on knowing clearly without any doubt that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. That is, I am one with him. Verse 39, they tried again to seize him but he eluded their grasp. Don't go downstairs, guys. Don't go to verse 40 yet. Right there, you see, again, this is talking about supernatural protection. Other translations say he walked right through them. All of a sudden they went, where where did he go? When you're operating in the light of God's word, you are untouchable. Darkness can't touch you. Remember remember it says in John chapter one, it says, uh, and the light that came from him, what does it do to darkness? It expels it. So it's not good behavior that expels darkness. It's not discipline that expels darkness. It's light. 
When you walk in the light, which is his word, darkness can't even find you. So now again, going back to what Jesus was doing, right during this whole encounter, these are Jews, these are people, men that knew the word of God. They quoted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They knew it by hand. These men should have known who Jesus was, but they were clueless to what he was doing. They were clueless to him. So now we find out what Jesus is doing. It's interesting to know that right after this heated exchange, now look at verse 40. Jesus, he now went back again across the Jordan to the place where John first baptized and he stayed there. That word stayed is the same word, remain as mino, the action verb of staying. He stayed there. Why there? Why is he staying there? Luke chapter three, look at it again at this. Verse 21, 22, it says, when all the people were baptized, now this is talking about John the Baptist. When they were all baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the visible heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son. My beloved, in you, I am well pleased. What was Jesus doing? <laughs> he was purposely abiding in the state of his being the son of the most high God. He returned to the very place that heaven opened up. The father revealed his love, revealed his heart for his son. Jesus stayed there. And he went back and he remembered what was said of him, what was told of him, that whole experience. And notice this, not only did he just stay there to begin remember and to remain in those words that were spoken, but now also he remained there in great expectancy. Because just about what we're going to see at the end of this abiding time, remember he stayed there for two more days after he got word, your friend Lazarus is dead. So Jesus was gone three days. Why didn't you come Jesus when we first told you he would have still been alive and you could have done something? Why did he stay there? He had to go back. He had to remain under that word and go, this is who I am. This is the call of God on my life. See, sometimes we don't think of Jesus that way. He, oh, he had, he had no problem. Listen, he came to his own people. They didn't even recognize him. Talk about not only a betrayal, but a loneliness, a, oh man. Could you imagine the depression that was trying to get into his soul? They don't want you. You're useless. So what did he do? He went back and in this state, he remained in what the father had said to him. And now notice this last part. He also remained in expectancy because at the end of this time, Martha couldn't shake him. The mourners at the tomb of Lazarus couldn't shake him. Lazarus's dead body couldn't shake him. The Jews who are just criticizing him in John chapter 10, guess what? They showed up in John chapter 11. They couldn't stop him. The stench when he said, roll away the stone, couldn't stop him. Nothing could shake Jesus from boldly declaring, I am the resurrection. Those words, Jesus' abiding time of hearing what the Father said about him gave him the strength, gave him the courage, 
gave him the boldness to stand now and before, which has never been done before, someone who's been dead for four days and declare, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, roll away the stone and unmummify him. This whole encounter, this whole experience wasn't just, well, Jesus is on a God so he could just do what he wants to do. No, he spent three days going back to what the father had said about him. And he just sat there and go, this is who I am. This is what the father said about me. I'm his beloved one. I am his very own special, unique son. So he could step out and he could boldly declare. So what does that mean for you and I in closing? Is that I have to begin to abide in my time alone with God and his word. Until I, I, listen, we've all heard you're home now. What does that mean? Take the time to abide. What does that mean? Because it's going to do you no good for the father to say you're home now. And there you're off just running away. Some of you aren't spending time at home long enough. The father's wanting to reveal your identity. And guess where identity comes from? Where I abide. What is this whole world under right now? This uncertainty of who am I? We're sexually confused. We have no idea what a boy is, what a girl is. We can't figure all that out. So we try to add all these explanations about, well, I feel like this, so this is probably what I am. It's the devil twisting who you really are. And where do I find my true identity? Home. This is something we talk to our kids about all the time. We talk to them about who you are. Are because the world will tell you and give you opinions of who they think you are, but only the one who created you is able to tell you, this is who you are, this is why you were born, this is the gifts I've given you, this is what I've called you to do, this is the family I've placed you in. Get connected. This is who the Father is. So now in closing, let me just give this to you. Our identity is solved in our abiding. If you are constantly running around, you're not seeing any fruit, you're not understanding, nothing's working in my Christian life. It's not about behavior. I'm just stuck in this sin, I'm stuck in this sin. No, the the reason why you're dealing with some of that sin stuff in the back corner that nobody knows about, that you do in secret, that you don't want anybody, you're gonna take it to your grave. The reason why it's not a behavior problem, it's an identity crisis. You have to know who you are. And this is what the father, this is what Jesus demonstrated for you and I is after that heated discussion, he went back and he allowed home to tell him again, this is who you are. This is what I've called you to do. You are the resurrection. And remember Jesus said, I only hear or I only say what I hear my father say. So for Jesus to boldly declare, I am the resurrection. He had to have heard it from the father. Well, how did he hear that? Or just randomly on the spot? No, he abode three days and he got so on the inside that not even the smell of death could throw him off. So what do I do for me? Is I don't have this on the screen, Colossians chapter two. It says being rooted and established in him. What do I do? I keep going back to this. This is how I get strengthened in my faith. This is how I get strengthened in my identity. Stop listening to what everybody else has got to say. I have got to go to my father and listen, there's going to be times. That's why he said it's a, it's a verb, mino, stay. Your flesh wants to run, stay. Your flesh wants to check this, stay put. Why? Because the father is ready to reveal. 
So I'll give you an example. I ended with this last week, but I want to finish it right here. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. If you're like, man, I need to know the Father's love for me. This is where it begins. He's not going to start telling you this is what you're called to do until you know how loved you are. Reason being is you can't put into somebody else's life what you don't have in your own life. It's impossible. So if you don't know that you're a loved child of God, and I'm talking about a beloved identity. Come on, beloved identity. That is a very intense identity. I know who I am. I know what my father has told me in the secret place. I know what he says about me. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. They'll talk, they'll say everything, but I heard differently. My home said this, and my parents, I'm so glad they taught me what home says is more important than what friend says. Home says this, so I'm sticking with it. And that's what we're training up our boys. But if that's you, I want you to see these words, hear this. It says, he chose you to be his very own. I just feel unwanted, stop. Go home for a bit. He chose you to be his very own. I have a hard time believing that. It's a choice. Belief is a choice. I choose to believe this. What am I? I'm chosen. Joel, who are you? I'm chosen. Joining me to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained me so that I could be seen as holy and without fault. He looks at me and he says, I see no fault in you. Well, how does that get so ingrained in you? He's got to tell you. Well, how do you do that? You got to go home. We're off so quickly and the flesh loves to do things and we're looking kind of for a fast food restaurant thing with God. It's not fast food. It's a slow cooker. He wants to get it into your very DNA, into the fiber of your being. So it's not just, oh, a quick little fix and I can move on. He's done with these quick fixes. He wants to permeate your your being so that you exude who he is and you walk with this confidence going, where did that guy come from? I came from home. That's where I came from. Verse five, for it says, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt Joel. Put your name in there, to adopt. Thank you for the three people that said your name. (laughs) To adopt me as his delightful child through my union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love that he has for the beloved one, Jesus, he has for Joel. God the Father loves Joel as much as he loves Jesus. Whoo! And what's happening when you're sitting in this time with the Father? What's happening is you're abiding in this verse and you're letting this verse get on the inside of you and let it take hold of you. Your mind starts to change. Your behavior starts to change. You're no longer you know, fingering people on Ross. You're literally starting to bless people. Why? Because his presence has changed me. This isn't some religious thing. It's about a lifestyle of abiding. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. It pleases the father so that you know what he thinks of you. So I want to just say this over us as a church. No more spiritual constipation. I mean, that may sound weird to you, but I mean that. There's been so much fruit blockage 
Nothing happening in our life because we are so stuck in what we see. We're so moved by what's going on out there. And I believe the father is saying, come home, come home, come home. Are you done living that way? Are you done treating your wife that way, your husband that way? Are you done with you know, having the atmosphere with your kids? Are you done with this financial issue over and over and over and over again? Are you done with dealing with the sickness over and over and over again? Are you tired? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Y'all, there comes a point that's got to stop. Are you done with the strife? Are you done with being offended at everything that comes? They said this, I'm offended. You're off course again. Takes you a year to get back and, okay, I'm back. And then the next thing happens and boom, I'm off again. It's got to stop. Where does it stop? Not just, I got to be, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be offended. No, go home and let the father love that offense right off of you. They can say it every day for the rest of your life. And guess what you do? Oh, it doesn't bother me. I'm totally free from what they think. Why? Because the Father loves me. So, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, we just speak blessing over everyone in this room. Father, the peace of God that passes understanding, the joy of the Father's heart. Lord, I ask you that you would give unto this us as a church family a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of you. The eyes of our hearts being flooded with light that we would know the hope to which you've called us, how rich is your inheritance in us, and what is the exceeding greatness, power that you've placed inside of us because we believe in you. Lord, we ask you for that. We have got to see in these last days. So Lord, we thank you. Just say this after me. My eyes are blessed. I see. My ears are blessed. I hear in Jesus' name. Just speak that. No more. I don't, I don't get the book. No, no, no. I have clarity. It makes sense to me. Holy Spirit reveals it to me real clear. Amen. Pastor Julian, would you come on up?